We are, for those that are visiting today or newer to Christ community, maybe haven't been with us before, we're in a study and a journey in the book of Philippians, the New Testament letter by the Apostle Paul written to the church in Philippi. And we are uh, turning the corner, uh, going uh, through the end of now chapter 3 and into chapter 4, and uh, looking down the home stretch the next few weeks of concluding our journey in this wonderful letter of uh, good news that Paul Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote his brothers and sisters in Philippi a couple thousand years ago. If you would, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, through chapter 4, verse 3. As we come into our text, as you know, Paul, uh, as we spoke out, studied a few weeks ago, uh, all the way through last week, is really encouraging the body there of believers in Philippi regarding uh, their knowing Christ and uh, understanding what that means for themselves and how all things in Paul's life are, um, in a sense, a loss, as he said there in chapter 3, for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and to be able to partake and to fellowship with his Lord. And so he comes to verse 15 of chapter 3. Listen as I read God's word. All of us then who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Father, have you have reminded us just in these few verses that in the midst of our weak flesh and our strugglings, our even failings on a regular basis, your presence abiding in us and with us not only gives us hope, but gives us the very strength to stand, to stand firm. You call us to stand only because you're the one that's holding us up. You're the one that's supporting us, keeping us ever-present, abiding in you. Lord, I pray this very hour, if anyone this morning is here and barely feels like they can even stand themselves, that you will lift them up, 
even as we pray this moment, your Holy Spirit will envelop everyone in this worship service and will fill us up with who you are, with your very power and with your presence by your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding and give us the discernment and wisdom to take your gospel truth and apply it to specific areas of our own life as your Holy Spirit would lead. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for many of us, or all of us here, I'm sure you occasionally maybe caught a glimpse of the news this week and saw after what happened in Moore, Oklahoma, what happened just in Oklahoma City uh, and how the loss of life and the loss uh, tragedy that happened there. Um, just amazing power, devastation that has gone through that part of the Midwest with the tornadoes and uh, the flooding and all that's been going on. And you watch and you see the devastation and your heart goes out to those that have lost so very much. Uh, even some who have lost loved ones uh, in those tornadoes and in that devastation. And then you hear some of them sharing about where they are emotionally and what they're going through just within hours uh, of having lost what they have. And you think, and they even say at times, I'm just so thankful to have my own life, my loved ones still here as they stand in front of a complete pile of rubble, which was their home and all of their earthly possessions they even owned. And they basically say, I'm still standing. And that's all they can say. I'm still standing. And so I think about that and I think translate that into a spiritual understanding. Some of you, maybe even recent weeks or this year or maybe even as short as the past day or two have been in a place emotionally or spiritually like maybe those who have gone through such tragedy. And you're here this morning, but it's hard to even still stand spiritually. It's hard just to keep standing in Christ, believing and hoping and trusting and relying on the promises that you've been told for many, many years. And right now, you're just barely able to stand. Hopefully, these words from the Scripture this morning will be an encouragement to you, but to all of us as the Lord is challenging us to stand. Stand firm in what Jesus has done for us. Paul starts out in the very beginning uh, of his book, in the, in, the, uh, in the whole book itself, as writing this letter to be an encouragement, not to be, in an overarching way, a letter of uh, rebuke or of correction, uh, but a letter of encouragement to those in Philippi, the believers, brothers, and sisters there, to keep, stand, to, to keep going as he knows and has heard about their faith and their faithful service to the Lord as they not only show it to him personally, but to those around them. And he continues to say, keep going. I'm encouraged by what I see in you. Do not stop what the Lord is doing in and through you. And so he continues that way in this portion of the letter. 
Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, My brothers and my sisters, you whom I long for, my joy and crown. Paul again shows his love for these that he ministers to and with. And that's so important. He again shows the close relationship and the deep friendship, even more than friendship, kinship, a a spiritual family, as it were. He expresses that intimacy with them as brothers and sisters, those, he says, who he longs for. He longs to be with them in person. He longs for them to be encouraged in their walk with the Lord, and he longs for them to receive all that they need as they walk with the Lord alongside of him. He says, whom I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Standing firm is Paul's encouragement to the church Encouragement to us, as even today, 2,000 years later, our difference, we have different challenges than they did in Philippi, and yet we still have challenges to our faith. And as he told them, he is saying to us to stand firm. <clears throat> How do we stand firm? Well, first we stand firm by holding on to our identity in Christ. We stand firm by holding to our identity, and that's so very important. First, knowing who you are in Christ and staying there, being reminded of who you are in Christ and reminding one another of who we are in Christ. When we have a friend or a brother or sister in the body that we see discouraged, maybe this morning you saw someone as you came in and you said to yourself, they seem down this morning. Let me encourage you, if you saw someone who you felt looked down, you may be right. Maybe they are down in spirit. Go to them after the service today and encourage them. Tell them you're praying for them. Let them know that you're there if they need anything. Go to those and be an encourager. Remind those in the body with you who they are in Christ. Not in a a shallow, uh, just quick review way, but reminding one another of what wonderful truths we have as being daughters and sons of our Heavenly Father. Paul reminds them of their identity. In verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Of course, Paul, in verse 20, is contrasting those who are enemies of the cross in verse 19 and 18, and he's making a contrast. That's why he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. But he is also reminding them of where their identity lies. It's in heaven with the Father. It's with the family of God. They are citizens of that kingdom, of that land. Their home is not here. Our home is not here. Your citizenship lies in the United States, but your true citizenship for all eternity does not lie in the United States. It doesn't lie in any nation or country, any land. It lies with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our place for all eternity, our home, is where we seek to be for all eternity. Paul reminds them that their citizenship citizenship is in heaven. And he reminds them of their identity. And it's based upon where their allegiance lies. Where does their allegiance lie? Hopefully, it lies 
in heaven with the Father. See, in our country, we oftentimes uh, will maybe at a ball game or in school or somewhere, we will put our hand over our heart and we say the Pledge of Allegiance. Nothing wrong with doing so, but it's hopefully outwardly expressing what an inward allegiance of the heart is about. But much greater than that temporal, earthly allegiance that we express at times is an allegiance that goes to the very soul, to the core of who we are. Our allegiance to the Father, our allegiance to Christ. You know, we, we, have alleg- we, we make allegiances all the time. Uh, we often share um, our allegiance to different things that we don't even realize sometimes. I guarantee you in about three months from now, the lobby of Christ's community on Sunday morning will be filled with conversations about SEC football season. It will. Right now, you don't hear much of those discussions going on. About three months, come the end of August, you're going to start hearing people talk about different alma maters or different teams and who, who do you think is going to go this all these conversations and it's going to fill up that lobby for about three or four months it, I just, it happens why because so many people especially in the SEC have an allegiance to their school an allegiance to a certain team whether it be professional or college whatever we have allegiances and we express them all the time in so many different ways many people have allegiances they don't realize but you know, if we, take, if we would take as much passion as often we do with something as just simple or as temporal as a college team, and we put that passion and that allegiance and channel it towards the kingdom of Christ and his desires for how his kingdom is to be fulfilled, it would be a tremendous use in the hands of God that kind of passion, to take that energy and that zeal that often we express in other things that really are temporal and short-lived to eternal things that last forever. As, as believers, our identity is at the core of what the gospel is all about. We're adopted, even as we were reminded in uh, the challenge to the mission team this morning, adopted as God's sons and daughters into his family. We all have the privileges of being in that family. We have the privileges of being sons and daughters. So whenever we disregard or possibly put aside or even neglect our sonship as sons and daughters of the king, when we do that, we live in a real sense as spiritual orphans, as those who act like sometimes we don't have a heavenly father. We don't have one who really does watch over what our needs are, what even our desires are, the things that are on our heart that we're burdened with, and yet the Father always is watching over us. You know, spiritual orphans often make decisions based upon insecurities, based upon fears of what the unknown may be or fears of what they think might happen. Also, spiritual orphans make decisions based upon often wanting to be accepted or never feeling maybe that they are good enough uh, in their spiritual life before their Heavenly Father. And when we live with that perspective, that perspective, it often makes it very difficult to stand firm in one's faith. It's hard to stand firm when 
you're not sure if you're even accepted by the one who has called you to stand firm in his presence, with, the, with, with his presence, abiding and trusting him. It's hard to do so if we don't have our confidence and our trust and security in our Father and the relationship of being a son or daughter of his. Holding to our identity is how we stand firm. But the second way is this, living out what we already possess. Living out what we already possess. Many of us maybe do not realize what truly we already have received and how God has called us to live out what he has already put in. Verse 16, Paul writes, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Literally, when he says live up, it means to stay in line with. So it could read as follows, only let us stay in line to what we have already attained. That's what we're encouraged to understand about standing firm in our faith. You know the Bible? If you read through the various stories of the Old and New Testament, you'll see many who were not able or chose not to stand firm for the duration. Many a believer and follower of the God we worship had a great start, but not so much as good of a finish. They still were the Lord's, and we believe they went to be with the Lord upon passing from this world. But as they finished their temporal journey, unfortunately, they didn't finish probably as they desired or as their heavenly Father desired. You think of characters like Lot, Samson. Samson, who was called and yet didn't finish well. Saul, King Saul. Moses, who didn't actually enter the land that was promised because of his disobedience. In the New Testament, many more, like Ananias and Sapphira, who held back from the Lord. There's many, many others that we could go on, but Paul reminds us that we are called to live out what we already possess, not just for a moment, but for our entire life in Christ on this side of heaven. Brian and Mandy, I'm not sure they might be listening right now. They said they might be. They, they said, we want to be sure and pray for us today, as we did, that we don't burn ourselves out, that we pace ourselves, that we live in such a way with wisdom and understanding that we are following God's timing and his pathway. That's so important that we understand what that means in our own lives. Jesus himself taught this very truth about living out what we already possess when he was teaching the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke 16. After he told the parable, he said he taught this true principle. He said in verse 10, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You see, however much, whether it be a small amount so far in your spiritual walk with Christ, and he's revealed just so much, and you're at the beginning of your journey with him, or whether he has revealed almost a lifetime of his grace and his truth to you, doesn't matter. However much he has given you, and it's different for every single person in this room, spiritually, that's how much he calls you to be faithful with. No less than that, 
and no more than that. But whatever He has given you, that is how much you have received. And the only call that He calls you for is to be faithful with what He has apportioned you to have. And so there is no burden that we should carry that I'm just not doing enough. Sometimes I felt like that. Maybe you have in your walk with the Lord. You don't feel like I'm doing enough. I know where that sense comes from because we look around at others who are doing so much and maybe we feel guilty or, or we're reminded that maybe we have lost priorities in our walk with the Lord. Certainly we all experience in that and sometimes it's a good reminder to get us uh, back in line. But we must be careful we don't constantly live in a state of always the glass half empty spiritually. If we truly are living out our walk with the Lord by faith and repentance, and we're following Him on a daily basis, depending upon Him, seeking to depend upon Jesus, then we take what He has given and we seek to be faithful with what we have received. Not trying to do things we shouldn't do or falling short of what we know we have already been given to follow. We must not dis, we must always realize that what we have been given, we seek to live out in the possession that Christ has given us. You know, for most of us in this room, I would say our spiritual struggle is not that we know too little of the gospel of grace. It's not that we don't know enough of what God has called us to in Christ. Hopefully, most of us have received much in the way of our discipling and in our t in teaching and understanding from the Scriptures, but our need is to apply what we already know. It's much harder to faithfully and consistently apply what you know than it is to always seek to acquire something more. Hopefully, we all have received a great amount of knowledge. Not that we should not continue to grow in knowledge. We should. But we also must focus on applying what we have already received, living out what we already possess. So important. <clears throat> Putting our energy into faithful dependence rather than always trying to just improve our lot in Christ. Hopefully, as we do so, we'll find ourselves staying in line with the gospel and our impact for the kingdom inside the church and outside the walls of the church will be significant if we seek to live out what we have already possessed and currently still possess. Standing firm in our faith is not just done in isolation, though. These two uh, truths about how we stand firm are not done on an island by ourselves. Standing firm is always done in community. We always stand firm with those around us, whether outside or inside the church, believers or unbelievers, we are constantly seeking to stand firm in our faith among other people, relationships that God has placed in our life providentially. So, Paul reminds the Philippians to stand firm among others. How you stand firm among those around you. How do we do that? Well, first he tells us in verse 17, we follow those who themselves are standing firm. Look around you, identify who you feel is following Christ in a way that will 
help you understand what it means to follow Christ. You know, you might look at someone following Christ over here and then find someone over here that's following Christ, and they look very different to you, but they're both following Christ faithfully, but this one seems to connect with you. Well, that's perfectly fine. Seek to, to hopefully establish some relationship with someone in your life, if not more than one person, but at least one person that is spiritually modeling and showing Christ in them and willing to show Christ in them to you, that you might follow what that looks like. You're not going to do it exactly like they would, but understanding how they go about it, how they're learning to follow Christ and where they understand you are and helping, helping you follow Christ, that's so important to follow those who are standing firm in their faith. In verse 17, Paul says, let's join together now in following my example, he tells the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul's saying to keep your eyes on these models of faith, not perfect models. You'll never find a perfect model. That's not what we're seeking to find anyway. We're only seeking to look at those who are faithfully living out what they possess and then being encouraged and hopefully finding their example to be uplifting and, uh, and encouraging to us, reminding us of how our lives should also be seeking to follow and live out what we possess. Paul is saying that there is a need for believers to live in such a way that others can observe their spiritual walk so they better understand how to follow Christ. In 1 Corinthians, just like in Philippians, Paul says these words to the Corinthians. He said, follow my example. In verse 1 of chapter 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Notice Paul doesn't say, just follow me. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Hopefully, that's a pointer to Christ himself. Paul's pointing to Jesus. He's not pointing to himself. It may sound like it, but he's really not. He's seeking to faithfully follow Christ. And he is just inviting those he's ministering to and with to join alongside him, to, to go with him in following Christ. That's what he's doing to those in Philippi and also in Corinth. Now, before you dismiss what I've just said, which is be an example, seek to maybe not only find a model of faith, but maybe yourself share your life as a model of faith. Before you dismiss what I just said there, and think to yourself, well, now, Mike, I can never have someone observe my life. That just is not going to happen. No, I, I don't think I'm in a place spiritually where I want anyone looking very closely at me at all. Because if they did, they would find things they would not like. In fact, I might even be viewed as someone who isn't very, is not very Christianly in my life. Well, let me encourage you uh, to not feel that way at all. And I say that for a few brief reasons. First, God has designed the Christian life in community and in relationships. When you are in Christ, you are in 
his church. You are in the community of believers, and he's designed us to need each other in a discipleship relationship way. Discipleship is how God has designed us to be and how to follow and to train as disciples. Jesus modeled this for us with the apostles and his disciples, and then they in turn took that and discipled others, and so on and so forth. For two millennium, this has been how God has designed, if not longer than that, for us to grow and abide in Christ. God's designed it. The second thought is this, modeling a life of the gospel and obedience to that is not ever going to be perfect, nor is it intended to be so. God calls us to open our lives up and to share it with other people, to be an encourager to others. God knows we're not going to be flawless when we do that. No one expects you, if you open your life up to someone else spiritually to help encourage them, they do not expect they will find a flawless life in you. So why do we fear that that's what will happen, that they'll, they'll find me out? They'll see that I'm really not who, well, they first of all don't think you're like that anyway, probably. And if they have put you a little higher pedestal than where you, it's still the reality of Christ in you that's going to impact them, not how well you are perceived or how poorly you are perceived. Modeling a life of gospel obedience is never going to be perfect or flawless. In fact, just the opposite. Modeling how to handle failure, modeling how to handle suffering, modeling how to handle discouragement, making bad choices, which we all do, learning how to model repentance of our sin. All these are really the very things that will impact someone else spiritually in a very deep way. Those things impact someone else, not how well you live the Christian life. So important to understand what real discipleship looks like. Second Corinthians, Paul writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul boasts in his weaknesses, not his strengths. He boasts in what he can't do and what he is broken in his life about, not about what he does well and how he is perceived to be flawless. Modeling a life of gospel Dependence is not about being perfect. The third and final thought about how we need to follow those who are standing firm and actually reach out to those who we can help bring along with us is that whether we choose to model this or not, people are going to observe your life anyway. If you say, well, I'm, I'm just not ready for that. I understand what you're saying, Mike, but I'm just not going to do that right now. Sorry, you don't have a choice. Why? People are going to watch, are watching you anyway. People are watching your life right now. Don't turn around. Don't look. You'll see them. They're watching you. Don't become paranoid. But you know it's true. Wherever you go, people are observing your life. Even when you don't think they're observing you, 
they are observing you. And that's a good thing. Not necessarily just for accountability, but you are an encouragement to others. They need to see how real you are in Christ and how you struggle and how you have things that are very similar to things in their life. Think about who you connect with in life many times, who that is. It's oftentimes those who you connect with at a point of brokenness or a point of failure or a point where you're like, oh, I'm just like them. Whether it's someone on a TV show or someone in a movie or, or, or just in real life, you, you connect with points of brokenness, not necessarily points of um, perfection or perceived as such. First Peter says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, those outside the church but also inside, they're observing anyway. And our lives are intended to make an impact. Some of you were there this past week. Some of you heard via uh, an email we sent out of what happened this week with our dear brother in Christ, uh, who almost every Sunday, as much as he possibly could, was in the back to my right, sitting there in his wheelchair, Danny Thomas. God took him home Monday to spend eternity with him. And we celebrated his life and encouraged one another Thursday evening together as a church family and with many other of his extended family there with us Thursday evening. Kelly Thomas, I remember when, we, when she shared that evening at the memorial service, she shared just a few days ago, she and Danny were talking, and how Danny had expressed how he really did not feel, this is important now, listen, how Danny really did not feel that he had ever really impacted anyone for Christ in his life. Remember Kelly, those that were there, Kelly shared that. When she shared that, I just could not believe that's how he felt because he impacted me spiritually as I shared Thursday night. I know many of you, he, and you shared, he impacted spiritually. Even a man who could not move his arms and legs made an impact spiritually because he was willing to share his life, to open up. Even someone like that, we absolutely can have an impact on someone else. God used Danny in so many ways and is still using him through all that Christ did in and through him. Following those who are standing firm, but also engaging those who aren't standing firm, engaging others. Verse 18, as we come to an end of this lesson today, for he says, as I've often told you before and now tell you again, with tears many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, those were those around the church in Philippi that Paul's reminding them who lived as enemies of the cross. In a, in a sense, they were sensualists. They sought what was sensual in their life. Whatever their senses desired, they went after to fulfill whatever that was. Their minds were set on just earthly things and nothing else. Now, certainly Paul was referring to many outside the church pursuing hedonism and all things that were sensual. The Roman culture itself had a lot of sensuality within the culture. But he also 
reminded them that their destiny was their destruction. You know, outside of Christ, we will eventually destroy ourselves. Anyone who is outside of Christ will eventually destroy themselves. It doesn't take a lightning bolt from the finger of God to take someone and destroy them. God can merely release his hand of common grace from them, even to an unbeliever, and they'll just destroy themselves. We do it all the time. Look around the culture. Just watch a TV show. You'll see people destroying themselves all the time in ways that are mind-blowing how easily we can destroy ourselves. Their God is their stomach, Paul says, sensual cravings of all kinds. First John 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. Paul says their glory is their shame. You know, when Christ is not present in the life of a person, a person will actually take pride in what really should be shameful and a disgrace. Think about how many things in our culture today that were just shameful 20 or 30 years ago are no longer shameful today. In fact, people are esteemed for the very things just three decades ago they were ashamed of and never would speak of on their lips and would only participate behind closed doors. Those things are no longer. They are, in the, they are out in the open, but not just so. They are, people take pride in them. The very things, they were a disgrace not that long ago. Our nation is struggling in many ways, understanding what, the, what a marriage is, what the family is really about what sexuality is all about, many more topics. What just a few years ago was viewed as certainly not honoring the Lord and not following his guide for those things and how we should understand and pursue those areas of our life are now completely opposite. And many are prideful and esteemed and lifted up in our culture for such pursuits. We must be careful, though, not to just look outside the church, but Paul says that we must be careful to also look within. Look how he writes in uh, <clears throat> verse uh, six, 19 through 20. He, he says, <clears throat> for, or verse 18, he says, for as often as I told you, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't say many are enemies. He said, many live as, as enemies. It's even possible for believers at times, as we struggle, to live almost as an enemy of what Christ desires. At least we often don't follow and yield ourselves to. We have to be careful that our desires to fulfill our own agenda do not hinder the progress of the gospel, whether in the church or in the world. Verse 2 of chapter 4 Paul lays out a challenge to actually specific people by name inside the body there in the Philippian church. He actually speaks of two different women by name who had worked alongside him in the gospel ministry, and he knew in order for them to stand firm, they needed others to come alongside them and to help them. And so he encourages them to do so. 
So, how would you feel if in, a, in next Sunday's sermon I were to identify three or four of you by name in my sermon? And I were to ask the body of Christ here to come alongside you because of what I knew was going on in your life spiritually and how you needed help. Everybody looks at me like, oh, would he actually do that? No, I wouldn't do that. So if you're a visitor, please come back next Sunday. I would not do that. But that's what Paul's doing, is he not? He's identifying by name those who he knows as a shepherd for them, they need help, they need encouragement. He says, they contended to work in the gospel with me, and their names are in the book of life. That's not the issue here. The issue is they need help and encouragement to come along to live in line with, to stand firm with. That's what he's doing. So what is he telling us? I don't need to name three or four people. You know three or four people in the body of Christ here that need you to come alongside them. You don't need me to name them. But here's what you do need to do. You need to come alongside. If you're not coming alongside, then you're not fulfilling your role that Christ has called you and me both to be. Come alongside those specific people in your life in this church, outside this church, but especially in this church that need you to come alongside. They need you. And also reach out at times and ask others to help you when you need them. That's what we're reminded of, importantly. The final thought, though, that I, I want to leave us with is, though Paul has certainly challenged us to stand firm in the gospel, we only have our hope because there is one who has already stood firm. He has already stood firm and passed the test flawlessly like no one else could or will ever do, he has stood the test perfectly, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that is Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that is Christ, the many will be made righteous. We are made righteous because of his perfect obedience, because of his flawlessness in standing firm in what and who he was as the Son of God. His obedience is now our obedience. His flawless life is now our flawless life in him. We may not experience a flawless life. Of course we won't in the flesh still, but we have his flawless life as our substitute to have eternity with him and with the Father. We receive that by faith. We trust in it. We depend on it. And we seek to stand firm only in what he has already accomplished for us.